What is your killer strategy? The one that gives your business the ultimate bulletproof competitive advantage. Welcome to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. Former professional blackjack player and card counter who left Las Vegas and spent his life in that giant casino on Wall Street in the hedge fund and venture capital businesses. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. How do we retain our top talent and ensure longevity of them with us? This applies both to our external constituents like customers, as well as internal ones such as employees. Going a step further, how do we ensure that we're hitting our revenue and profitability goals? What steps can we take to create demand to keep our numbers and money moving? To answer those questions, Dr. Jeffrey McGee. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thank you and good day to you and and welcome to your listeners. Hey, listen, man, you've got a a very impressive background. Uh, You've written books, you've you've done all sorts of things, things that have really sold large numbers of uh, copies. So I want to jump right in. What are you seeing post-pandemic? What are you seeing companies doing to keep their employees happy, keep things moving, keep things back on track? What's happening? Great question. And that is that is a burning question globally. I have clients all over the globe, literally this morning, right before we jumped on this program of yours. I was having that exact conversation with a C-suite executive of a billion-dollar client of mine. I would frame it three ways, Joel. I think there's three expectations that every business leader needs to be mindful of today. And again, if you're listening, you need to be taking notes because Joel has set up a a million-dollar conversation today. People I've recognized go to an organization for one of three macro reasons, and it's the same three reasons why they leave. And so if you think of these three, number one, think of job position. Number one, if you're my supervisor, you're my boss, you're the business owner, Joel, what you have to have is three conversations. Number one, job. Jeff, this is the job I'm hiring you for. Let me talk about it, scope it, share you with you my expectations of this job you're about to occupy. And then when you're done, you need to ask the other person, what are your expectations of this job? That's where the connector disconnect is. People leave because they'll say things like, the job turned out to not be what I wanted. So that's one. Two, business. Then, Joel, you'd say, here's what the organization is all about. This is the expectations the organization has of you as a member of it. And when you're done talking about number two organization, ask the other person the same recalibration question. What are your expectations of the company? See, I recognize number two is critically important, especially post-COVID, because that's the second reason someone either goes to an organization or leaves, if you listen to them, they'll say the business wasn't what I thought it was going to be, or the business changed its values or its culture, its views. And then a third is you. So first is job, two is organization, and then three is you. So you might say, and Jeff, if I were to hire you as well, these are my Joel Block's expectations of you as, as the business owner or your supervisor. And so then you reverse it and say, so what are your expectations of me, Joel Block? Because that's the third reason people either come or leave. It's a people question. You know, I I love working with Joel. That's why I'm there. Or Joel turned out to not be the person I thought he was. So the first way to answer that in terms of how to retain talent is go back and have a recalibration question. Don't assume, actually sit down and have those calibrations. Hey, is this job living up to your expectations? How do I grow this job for you? What's the career pathway for you in the organization? We went back to those three you would have a, a tremendous number of, of epiphanies and, and ahas as to why you've lost or how you're going to keep. Hey, let me let me ask him. This just came to my mind here because have you ever had an employee come to uh, to a boss and say, I'm bored out of my wits. I need more work. I need more stimulating work. What can you do to help me go to the next level? 
because I mean, this, this is a serious thing. And I think there are some people sitting out there that would like to do more. Not everybody is one of these quiet quitter, uh, you know, people that, that just wants to do, you know, uh, you know, do the least you can on Mondays, do the least you can on Tuesday. They're not all those kind of people. Some of them really do want to, uh, you know, turn the pistons on and, and fire up the uh, the rocket ship. Absolutely. So, so let's let's talk about this under the kind of the, the guise of a continuous coaching conversations is what I would house this at. So, on a regular basis, you should be talking to, and let's start with your top players, your key players, most critical players, and then working your way all the way down as far as you can and have time. But you better be taking care of your of your of your top players, whatever you deem that to be. But that's a question you could be posing on a regular basis. What would you like to do next? It's like push goals of the past ten years or stretch goal conversations of the past ten years. So that's one. But back up. If you were connected with your key players and all your people for that matter, but some companies, you know, the span of control gets too big and it's, and it's silly for me to say you should be connected with everyone because it's not possible. And anyone says it can give me three minutes. I'll show you how clueless you are, but your top players, you do want to say, where do you want to go in your career? You should know that. And if you know that Joel, then you can be setting up all of those opportunities for deeper engagement. So no one is bored. No one's exhausted. No one's complacent. And also people won't feel like you're dumping on them because they'll know that those extra work is called extra opportunity to grow you in the company. Whenever there's a challenge, that's one way you could throw that as a question to your team. Hey, here's a challenge where the company is going or facing. Anyone who has, in essence, some some uh, you know constructive thoughts, meeting is you know virtual or live today at two p.m. Come join us. I mean, so create and contrive situations where people can bring their DNA and their juice to the table. And keep in mind. Innovation is your number one card to success moving forward. If you are not innovating, you are in survival mode at best. So how often are companies doing a good job in your experience of providing this continuous coaching, asking people what they want to do, asking them where they want to go, asking them if their expectations are being met? I mean, are, I imagine great companies do that, but how about the rest of the companies? I mean, I mean, is is it kind of why we're kind of moving in a direction of mediocrity is because maybe that's not happening enough? What do you think? Wow, let's unpack that question. So one, I think the reason we have so much mediocrity and complacency out there, um, quite frankly, is lack of leadership and we've allowed it. People are afraid to have a critical conversation and then hold all parties accountable. You know, Gallup organization has a massive amount of research that came out right before COVID, so it didn't get a lot of play. Uh, and even if the numbers are not 100% accurate, it doesn't matter. It's the theme, which basically says 50 plus percent, I think the hard numbers was 56% of workers surveyed in a massive national survey are complacent, you know, bur- you know, not, not really buying into what's going on. They're disengaged, I think was the actual word they used. 15% uh, of the people are are actively disengaged, the naysayers, passive aggressive, undermining, you know, etc. And then 29% are actively engaged. So part of it, there is some math to back up your assumption and, and observation. So I think one, we engage. So one, let's take a job description as an example. Here's a fastest way to blow up dumb people. You should have a performance review that only has three three scores. If someone's doing 100% of the job description you've hired them to do, then the score they get is meets expectations. And there's nothing wrong with that. Therefore, if an employer or boss says, how does someone get a higher score? It's very simple. You can point to the document, point to the specific key performance indicators of a job description or position statement. Say, if you do any of these and you do more than what's written, I have to score you at exceeding expectations. Score number two exceeds expectations. Therefore, now we can hold everyone accountable. Anything that's written down you're not doing, 
If it's still a part of that job, then you have to score them at not meeting expectation. And if we started doing that, you would, in essence, one, you would start holding people accountable and everyone would step up or step out. Two, you'd have objective documentation to coach people to greatness or to get rid of them. And then that would also create a culture by which winners would want to be there. Everyone is trying to strive to be great. But we've created documents that actually guard and protect underperformance. If you have a child that's going to school, and you want to have a wake-up conversation, a parent-teacher conference at the beginning of the year, you say, you know what? You have a grade you can give your students, A, B, C, D, F. In my house, we do not accept Ds or Bs. So you can only give my child an A, C, or an F. Because if you think about it, a D is a teacher's inability to have the guts to give a kid an F because they're dumb as a box of rocks. Or a B is a teacher saying, I don't have enough guts to give them an A because I don't like them or whatever. So if you make it really clear, A is achieving, B, a C is delivering, and F is failing, it'd be different. And that's why we have so much problem in the workplace. And we condone a lot of this crap because we have performance reviews with five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 different matrix. Get rid of it. Make it real simple. That then creates a culture where everyone who wants to be there, there's another key word, wants to be part of the company, is going to always be striving every day. Think of the old adage, skin in a game. Everyone would see they got skin in a game. But when you allow a matrix to cover low performers, you get low performance, which gets low attitude, which gets, in essence, a toxic culture every time. <laughs> I, I think that you're absolutely on mark. And, and here's the thing that uh, that I wonder. Does it come from the boss, the leader, uh, and their inability to set up a structure that works properly? Or is it a corporate-wide culture and it just is something that a single person can't fix? I mean, where's the problem and how does the problem go away so that you can open it up and make it better? Oh, this is, this is too easy. I'm going to answer it at the risk of losing some customers. Stop, because that's a leadership lesson right there. A leader says what needs to be said, not maybe what people want to hear. They say what needs to be said. So the United States Army National Guard is led by four-star General Hawkinson, who's a great gentleman and has a great resume. The problem is the Army National Guard and the Air National Guard, just as an example, the Army National Guard has 3,800 plus recruiters across the United States. Last year, 90 plus percent failed to make their goal, failed to make their mission. Now, not to be outdone, the active army failed to make their recruiting mission by 25 to 27% last year, and they have failed to make their mission year in after year in for many years. Now, if you go back and you look at the product that they have to sell, they have a phenomenal product. I mean, a phenomenal product. Matter of fact, there's more people in every state that would want to join the National Guard if they knew about this product, then they've got ability to hire. The problem is that their mindset has flipped the other direction. So, where does it start with the leader or the organization? Well, it could start with an individual state with the adjutant general and the recruiting commander saying, we're going to be a winner. We're going to buck the national trend of 9,000 excuses why we can't make mission. We're going to create an energy force where people win because no one likes to lose. If you're in sales and you lose after a while, if no one's going to help you, you give up. So the general should say, okay, what's our strategy moving forward to make our numbers? And when he sits down, everyone in the room gives them 9,000 reasons why they're not making the numbers. He should say, okay, time out. We're going we're gonna to pause this meeting for 24 hours, and I want you all to go out and find 10 ways to make this work and come back tomorrow. 10 ways times each one of you. And if you can't come in with 10 solutions tomorrow, I want you all to come in, and I'm going to find a way to legally demote every one of you by two ranks. That would be a wake-up call. Because in the private sector, if we can't generate results, we lose our job. True or false? True. 
Absolutely true. And if someone says false, it's BS. You might get retooled. You might be given another 30, 60, 90 days, but no private business coming out of COVID is going to keep anyone who's running a manufacturing line that, that puts out flaws and problems every day. No one's going to keep anyone on their payroll if they have major safety issues. So I use as an example. So where does it start? It can start with the CEO. Absolutely. But when you've got 3,800 sales recruiters across the country, demoralized, demotivated, not resourced, don't know what they're doing, and you allow that, that becomes a culture of, of basically defeatism, and now no one works. Take that to the private sector. The private sector is much quicker to say, if it's not working, let's find a solution versus give me the list of all the problems. The list of problems are incredible. I've written a book, using that National Guard as an example, where I personally, as a performance psychologist, have interviewed the top recruiters for 25 consecutive years on how to be successful. I've written a book on it, and it's amazing. No one in D.C. will even return a phone call. So where does it start? I just gave you a real-life example. Now let's see if I'm unemployed or someone stands up and says, okay, then show us how to be successful. In the private sector, everyone, just like behind you, advantage play. I know we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later. But everyone's looking for what's our strategic advantage. Don't tell me what our strategic problems are. And then how do I execute it? Play means execution in my head. And so I've identified six specific actions and activities. If I'm a recruiter, if I do these six in my own way, it is mathematically impossible to fail. So I use that with all of my clients. Let's leave the guard alone, even though they're my passion clients and I love them. In manufacturing, in distribution, in agriculture, in finance, where all my clients span those areas, I've recognized everything is a formula to success. Advantage play is a formula. Once you figure out the formula, you execute it, you win. And that's what we see happening in the business place today. Did you just say that you're a performance psychologist? Yeah, I blow up everyone's brain. When I looked at psychology, my work was around the area of performance, not what are all the endless reasons someone can't do. See, everyone goes down that lane. That's the easy lane. Oh, poor me. I was raised bad. It's my mom's fault. I was raised in, you know, I was raised in poverty on a farm. Hell, I didn't even know I was poor until high school. But again, if I knew I was poor, then I could use 9,000 excuses to be a loser today. We live that line. There's a great book by the former CEO of IBM, uh, Jenny Ramadi. Everyone needs to read that book because she talks about in the first several chapters about where she is today based upon the strong women in her life. Her great-grandmother ended up being, in essence, by herself, husband died. Her grandmother ended up the same way. All these women that stood up and, and made it successful. So she's realized the first place success starts is don't bitch, find a mirror and look at it. Then do what you need to do to create the, the DNA to be successful because everyone loves a good complaining rant. You know, what is it about our country these days that uh, everybody is a victim? Everybody is a victim. Everybody's mean to me. Everybody, nobody likes me. I, I mean, what's going on in our country? Where did this come from? And what are we going to do to get out from under it? Because it is, it is devastating. I'll tell you what, to answer that question is going to cause me to lose some other customers. So, Joel, you better help me with my unemployment line or <laughs> I don't go victimhood. You know, it, it is an interesting question. So I'm 60 years of age at the time we record this. So hopefully I don't act, looked and come off that old. However, what I've recognized is that there's times in my past history of my life where that wasn't the norm, Joel. I think it is a phenomena of the last 20 years. I think we have created political leaders that instead of bringing us together when they had phenomenal stages to bring us together, they used that to actually put a spotlight on a micro, a division that in essence started to grow where it never really was. And so it's become business. 
There are major political consultants on both sides of the line. I mean, I, I've, I've published a magazine for 30 years called Performance, where I sit down and I interview or I get phenomenal personalities to write articles on success. Success is always a theme. So, again, if Joel Osteen writes for my magazine, it's obvious where he's coming from, if you know the name, but it's not going to be on his, his religion. If I have a major, you know, uh, the last four presidents I've interviewed, so it's not going to be about your political party, but I ask the questions. But I say it's because we have major political people that it, it is their business to create division. That then seeds down to major journalists and talk show host people that what gives them, they believe their stage is, in essence, division. I mean, I'm an old school journalist, even though I've been in business for 30 years, and there's a journalism line it goes something like this. If it bleeds, it leads. So we, we buy into this mindset of negative, 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 negative. So imagine. So here's how you blow up everyone's mental DNA. Imagine if for the next 30 days, every talk show personality, every news show had to deliver 50-50. 50% of anything they want to say is critical. That's fine. They have to give exactly 50% on the other side of the spectrum. And every time they report something that's more negative than positive, or every time they report something that turns out to not be true, then they're going to be fined by the federal government. 100% of the ad revenue for the previous 30 days is what they get fined. That would quickly turn things around because you can't print or you can't podcast, you can't news, you can't do shows, you don't have revenue. So there, there's no penalty box for feeding the negative. What we've created in our society is a huge payoff for feeding the negative. And more often than not, here's the punchline of your question, more often than not, what negative we feed turns out always to be false, turns out to be rhetoric. But a lot of people have a failed K-12 brain, so they don't have the ability to make an objective decision to know rhetoric from fact. Don't you think that uh, all this victim language, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't work. I mean, successful people are optimistic people. I mean, people who are not doing well are pessimistic people. And the whole victim thing is a pessimistic thing. I mean, what is it that people don't get about that? I mean, why not? Well, no, you just answered your own question. Pessimist, misery loves company. I love adages. There's another one. So what happens is that people have been able to turn us into a business. When you have a national talk show host who has made millions over the decades, and his or her first claim to fame was a blatant lie about something with the police department that got them a stage, and they haven't paid their taxes correctly for years. Fill in the name with anyone that fits that description. I won't go any further so I don't get sued. But we have major celebrity voices that say this stuff, Joel, and that's what feeds it. It's a business. Now, let's flip it around. Instead of someone being in rural America or city America seeing this misery, what if now there was a shining light, a teacher, an administrator, a business person, an association that stepped forward and said, Joel, what excites you? Oh, you like to do things with your hand. What do you like to do? You like to make things. And, and we trained you on how to be a welder. And now you could have a phenomenal life down the road or you like animals let's help you to become a vet or you like numbers let's help you become an accountant an actuarial an engineer so if we would take the conversations and, and aim them towards constructive which is what i've put, built my entire life around i mean why complain well a lot of people that's all they know you have to break out of that but there are leaders let's go back to one of your earlier questions there's leaders at the top that should be better than this but but we get into politics and i don't mean politics in terms of you know democrat or republican or independent or socialist but we get into the politics of me versus you so i don't want to promote joel or i don't want to hire joel i want to do the other person versus the leader says what's the skill set what's the tasks 
duties and responsibilities of this endeavor I need someone to do? And how do I match it up then with someone who has the knowledge, skills, and ability to execute this at a level of greatness so everyone can aspire to be better? If that's what we put the spotlight on, and, and leaders should be doing that, you're right. But we have leaders that number one, have been promoted and or have been hired and or have been elected, that their resume screams they should never occupy that seat. And so all of that does is continue this melee, but it's negative people. This has become a billion-dollar game. You know, listen, long as we're talking about, uh, you know, some of these political things, media things, uh, a little bit off the topic, but uh, our our leadership, our national leadership, our, our state governmental uh, people, they aren't great role models for the rest of the society. I mean, we got people that are cheating. We got people who lie to get into Congress. We got people that are that are stealing things. They're there, uh, all these criminal problems. Uh, what do you think the impact of what people watch happening at the government level is having on them at their at their jobs? Hundred percent. Short answer. Hundred percent. Now let's unpack that. I have great friends. Um, and colleagues I have tremendous respect for on both sides of the political line. If someone looks at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see that I served in a in a Democratic uh, government leadership role in Tulsa, Oklahoma for many years, appointed by uh, a Democratic mayor um, and, and approved by the, the city council. Absolutely friends on both sides. I tend to be a little bit more of a capitalist, a little bit more conservative in some of my views. I'm also very liberal in others, so it's kind of hard to peg where's McGee on any given day. I, I just wish people would do what's right. Now, that's where I'm going to come in to answer your question, because it's first important. Why we have the problem is because everyone is judged whether you know who they are or not. Hence the adage, you know, we judge a book by the cover. So I wanted to give a little bit of a definition. of I've played on both sides of the line. Now, let me answer the question. As a journalist, why we have this is because journalists have stopped being journalists. I grew up with CNN and USA Today, and they were phenomenal back in my day when I went to college. I mean, we, we, we watched them as students in college to benchmark and get lessons. So no matter what your view is, whether it's Fox, CNN, Independent, the major networks, I don't care. Whatever newspaper, I don't care. But journalists are not supposed to have opinions. They're supposed to report the facts. So now that's Joel, the gatekeeper. If I have a, a person in politics, regardless of their political views, and they're doing great things, journalists should be recording and broadcasting and reporting on that. And when someone does something that's off the rails, regardless of their political views, we should hold them accountable. Give everyone a chance to get back on the right trail. I mean, don't just toss people under the bus. But journalists don't do that. So what they are, every journalist is an opinion piece today, Joel. And so if you turn on any news station, and I've said this in front of my audiences a zillion times, I don't care what your political views are. The problem is you turn on any newscast, within 30 seconds, you can pretty much peg which way they leaned. I mean, every newscast is, is basically a mouthpiece for a political party. So the reason that we don't have great people, or we do, but we don't hear about them, and the reason we have some of these egregious people you just talked about is because no one holds them accountable. You're doing something wrong. I don't care who you are. Let's fix it or get rid of you. You're doing something right. I don't care who you are. Let's scream it from the biggest building and let everyone know. But we've got so much into this. If if you have a different letter next to your name than mine, I hate you. We have no clue. It's scary. Years ago, here's another observation. Years ago, if, if I was a Democrat and you're a Republican and we ended up in D.C. as representatives or senators, we would live next to each other. We would go to the same churches. If you had kids, our kids went to the same schools. Today, we elect leaders, they go back to, and they don't even interact in any way, shape, or form. They all, like three of them, share the same apartment with each other. The kids don't go to school. So we have, we've created more divisiveness where it shouldn't be. 
I'm a big believer. Again, you and I sit down and have a meal together. It's kind of hard to be rude. But if you don't know each other, very easy to be rude because it's impersonal. We need to get people back together. We have more in common. We always hear that. But we we are right now in business. So let's bring it back to business for a second, even though you asked the political question and I respect it, but I'm scared really a lot with what I just answered. It simply is this, in business and in politics, if all you fixate on is what you don't have, if all you fixate on is the differences, you're going to see more of that. If you can fix and focus on and fixate on, excuse me, what you do have in common, you and I work in this business. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Why did you come to this company? Why did I come here? We came here for probably some similar reasons. And then how do we work together and make this business so successful, so profitable? We have job security and maybe we can make more money. Our employer will be in a position to say, wow, let me share the wealth. We're, this is crazy. I can give you guys you know, stupid bonuses this year or more compensation. But what we do is we fixate on what we don't have in common, and that is killing our businesses. It's killing our communities, and it's killing our country. Too easy to find out what we don't have in common. That is That takes no brain power to point out what you don't like in someone. That takes no brain power to figure that out. All right. Listen, we only have a couple of minutes. Let's try to bring it back to the original question of longevity with employees. I mean, uh, leadership, you know, uh, leaders aren't don't have good role models. I mean, all the things that we've talked about, all relevant. Let's just try and bundle it up. How do companies create this longevity, given everything that we've just discussed? One of the concepts I put forth in a book I wrote called Your Trajectory Code, the only personal success book I've written out of 31 books. In it are several great models to that. One that I would I would leave everyone with this one concept called the beta factor, B-E-T-A. You want to create longevity in your organization. You've got to grow the beta factor in every person in your team. Thus, what is your beta factor? What is your starting point? B is brains. If we are always growing and learning from one another, then we can create a learning culture. There's a buzzword of the past decade. So again, how do we learn from each other? So one is brains, whether it's technical, non-technical, certifications, et cetera. A, so B, E. E is energy. What gets people excited? Energy. What do you like to do? Energy. How do I create more opportunity to do the things you're best at? Energy. How do we feed off of each other? Energy. How do we celebrate our greatnesses and our wins and successes? Energy. T. T is talent. Finding raw talent and shaping it. Identifying within yourself and others. What is your talent? What are the things you're most passionate about? What are the things you're gifted in? What are your uniquenesses? And how do we carve out a role for that in our organization that would plus the whole organization and everyone wins? And then A, A is attitude. If people don't want to be a part of the organization, that's nothing negative. Don't shame people, but create an exit ramp for people. Sometimes, you know, Joel, you could have been working at a company for you know 20 years and you're great and things just change. So don't toss people under the bus, create an exit ramp for them. If you can't, if you can't re-enter them into the organization and re-inboard them into a better role in the company, so we all win. And sometimes people just need to be moved around. It's not that they don't like the company. It's just like, I feel like I'm bored crapless with what I do. Give me another job or role. So what's your beta factor? So as a leader, what do you do to grow those four domains of B-E-T-A? And how do you create an environment that plays off of those? If you have a robust organization that plays off of that, a community that plays off of that, then you're going to be attracting the best of the best. And leaders park their ego at the door. Leaders recognize where they're strong and where, they, where they're not strong. And they, they allow the spotlight to go on those people around them. You know, I had the opportunity to, to interview some phenomenal people early in my career before I left journalism. And Ronald Reagan had a classic line. I don't know if it predates him, but he has a classic line that goes something like this. Letter A, A-level people surround themselves with A-level people. 
B-level people surround themselves with Cs. You want to create greatness, always surround yourself with people better than you, and they will always take you to whatever was your biggest dream in terms of where you're trying to go. You know, it seems to me like uh, I don't want to let uh, these leaders off the hook by by telling them, well, you don't have good role models nationally and so forth. But I think that we have some institutional problems that are just there are some problems that need to be addressed in a very, very substantial global way. A lot of the corporate activities are very much derivative of what happens uh, nationally. I agree. But that's Uh, a leadership issue, Joel. We need a strong leader to stand up and call out. And the problem is some of these institutions are very strong and they will eat up a person who stands up. But now if a person stands up and makes a fact-based honest statement, and now all of a sudden a lot of other people stand up from, from all camps and views and says, wait a minute, this, no, Joel is right. We need to fix this system, this structure, this process, this procedure, this institution. Then we make change. But the problem is if one person stands up and everyone else around them are the negative voices, that's why, in essence, these things aren't changing. And, and there's going to be a day of reckoning for lots of businesses that don't step up. They're going to cease to exist. A lot of collateral damage is going to be people lose their jobs. And it could be the same thing for institutions in our society that you keep wanting to go down and talk about. So I don't disagree. It, it, there's a very dangerous horizon about to happen if people don't pay attention. Hey, listen, you know, uh, this show is all about delivering the inside track, the best, smartest, fast way to get something done. And you have absolutely hit on every one of those points in terms of, uh, you know, how to how to retain people, how to Thank expand you. that, how to do the revenue thing. And people that, you know, that deliver on the promise of the show, those people to us are advantage players. And that makes you an advantage player. And uh, and we certainly appreciate you being here and sharing your thoughts and uh, you have given us an awful lot to think about, and I have to digest some of this myself because it's uh, there you, are Joe. some institutional issues that we need to address, and uh, I'd like to uh, continue this conversation, and I appreciate you being a friend of the show. Absolutely. All in. Thank you so much, and, and thank you for your listeners following you and listening. Be well, Jeff. You've been listening to Your Advantage Play with your host, Joel Block. To learn more about how to work with Joel and cultivate your own high-limit advantage plays, visit theadvantageplayer.com. Subscribe to your Advantage Play wherever you get your podcasts.